Welcome to Disruption Dialogues Podcast Season 2. Listen to the influential leaders and trailblazers from around the world as they share invaluable insights to navigating the fifth industrial revolution. Hello and welcome to another episode of Disruption Dialogues Season 2. I'm Robert Altram, Vice President for Chemicals, Materials and Food for the Europe Middle East region at Markets and Markets. Today I'm in conversation with Leo Clancy, Chief Executive Officer at Enterprise Island. As the CEO of Enterprise Island, Leo manages a workforce of over 800 professionals, directing their efforts towards enhancing Irish business growth. With a career spanning two decades in technology, engineering and investment, Leo demonstrates prowess in nurturing client relationships and enabling worldwide expansion. Leo's past involvement in spearheading the tech sector at IDA further bolsters Irish enterprises' triumphs through strategic utilisation of a global network. Okay, today's focus revolves around a compelling topic, which is the future of trade. Uh, So, Leo, uh, first topic I'd like to discuss is uh, around onshoring and and offshoring. We've seen, uh, we've seen that uh, due to the COVID and the China supply situation, as well as this recent war in Ukraine, there's been a, a lot of discussion uh, around energy security, supply chain security in Europe and other parts of the world. Um, you know, there's been a, a lot of talk about uh, onshoring or reshoring oct- uh, activity. You know, do you see businesses reshoring back to Europe or, or Ireland? Yeah, well, Robert, first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, delighted to be here with Markets and Markets and um, look forward to the conversation today. So, um, yeah, onshoring, we, we've we definitely seen some evidence of supply chain being moved back to Ireland and to Europe more broadly. I think it's for a number of reasons, you know, supply chain resilience and multi-sourcing from a risk point of view became a strong factor during COVID, I think, for a lot of countries in terms of the risk it represented. And that was probably exacerbated by the um, terrible war in Ukraine over the last year. Uh, we also saw, though, that um, during the during COVID, in particular, the cost of shipping became a critical factor. So even some of the sub um, reverberations of that include if people were shipping, for instance, large plastic components that are that take up a lot of space but don't weigh very much, the choice about whether you injection mold those closer to home versus transport them on containers became very real for a lot of people. And and that's interesting. And I think combined with that, certainly among our clients, we support 4,000 Irish companies who are exporting around the world. A lot of them are implementing ERP now, uh, and you might think companies of all sizes have had ERP for a long time, but small to mid-sized manufacturers, it hasn't been the norm that they would have a sophisticated ERP system. So we're seeing companies be in more control of things like their sourcing supply chain, the level of diversity they have, the cost of components uh, that arise within their supply chain. So people are getting better through digitalization of their supply chains and their ERP at managing those. Um, Sustainability, huge concern. Product miles um, are material now to people's overall uh, carbon footprint to their product. I think that is, uh, and I know we'll talk about this later, that's a topic that's not going away. And then automation last, so long, long-winded answer, but automation last has the dual effect of making volume labor less of a variable and actually and high-skilled labor more of a decision factor. So you do see that countries that would have been typically high cost 
in a high auto in a highly automated environment may be more attractive than economies that are traditionally low cost and then that means that the capital cost of making an investment is relatively similar between jurisdictions because the equipment and building is going to cost you the same so labor becomes the only variable as that reduces it becomes less of a consideration so all that said though um some evidence that all those factors are causing reshoring but it's 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 not a huge uh, ripping uh, change that we're seeing through supply chains for our clients it's measured it's tactical and it's dependent on the business yeah absolutely and you're right we'll come on to digitalization and and automation uh, some of these these major things that are going to potentially enable reshoring uh, in later in the discussion I wonder what your opinion was on, you know, how can businesses break away from being reliant on China? I mean, you've said yourself there hasn't been a huge rip away from, uh, you know, bringing things back to the shore. And, and uh, you know, China ha- almost has a stranglehold to some extent on a lot of these industries. I mean, I work in the chemical industry and you they have ev- that whole supply chain is in place, you know, from the cracker all the way through making something like a polyester all the way to making the textiles and then making the clothing at the end of it. And that whole supply chain is fully, fully integrated. So it's very, very difficult to 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 break away from that uh, fully integrated model. Uh, how how can how can businesses break away from 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 that and start bringing stuff back into to, to Europe or other parts of the world? Yeah, so I'm not, as I said, not seeing a panic about China, certainly among clients, you know, the clients I speak to who have large manufacturing operations or sourcing in China are still very comfortable with China, despite the dialogue of recent months and the last couple of years. You know, I think there's a lot of um, comfort, lots of good relationships built up over time. So, um, so I don't think people are looking to break away. I think they are looking at opportunities though to diversify because I think everyone's aware because of the factors we spoke about a few minutes ago of the challenge and risk of single supply. Um, I think in certain industries like the ones you mentioned, uh, those will be long term changes. And there's also dependencies in there like energy costs. You know, if you yep. look at locations like Germany and Europe, that would have been probably the closest um, or Italy closest to those. Energy costs in Europe has been a huge factor, uh, kind yep. of disincentivizing some of those types of activity becoming even higher volume in Europe in the last while. So I think it's a slow process, particularly in those uh, deeply embedded and highly integrated supply chains. Um, I think in the more in the closer to final product stage, I think it's about multi-sourcing. We've seen a lot of clients move to other Asian locations uh, close to China as a dual source arrangement uh, for certain products, as we discussed earlier, moving all the way back to Europe. But that more because of supply chain challenges, costs, you know, and sustainability and other concerns. So real mixed bag. Um, no one's panicking as far as I'm seeing about being out of right. China, even in those markets you described, like the garment manufacturing and other areas. I, I don't know what what you're seeing, but I I don't see widespread panic, but I do see at least it's part of considerations all the time as to how we multi-source. Right. Okay, and you you mentioned energy costs as one thing. I'm just moving on to the, you know, the future of trade as a, a topic. I mean, you know, can it realistically be cost effective to produce domestically in places like Ireland? You know, uh, energy cost yeah. is 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 one thing, but uh, you know, you mentioned digitalization. You know, things like AI automation. Is is this now allowing, uh, you know, domestic production to happen? 
Yeah, and we've always had a very strong domestic production uh, capability. It has shifted over time. You know, we've gone, we don't substantially have a garment manufacturing industry anymore, for instance, but yep. we still produce by by different measures. You you can pick your you can pick your metrics. Some people say that we produce enough food on an island on a in a country of five million people to feed thirty five million. So most most of that and much of that processing is done in Ireland for those markets. Uh, it's done a very efficient and and high volume and low low labor way as well. So for huge volumes of of food material processed, um, there's actually very low labor content, high capital, and um, and highly efficient process. Same is true in biopharma. We're one of the leading locations in the world for that for medtech manufacturing. Semiconductor, uh, there's very large plants from both Intel and analog devices here that have been upgraded over 30 to 50 years, depending on which plant we're talking about and continue to be high volume. Uh, you have you have engineering businesses that serve those. So manufacturing is still a huge component of Irish business, but I would say that underlying trend of digitalization, automation, moving away from labor dependency as the key determining factor tends to be what de what determines whether whether manufacturing stays here. And again, that supply chain proximity to market piece is really important provenance kind of woven into that, you know, and particularly in areas like food. I think it's great that Ireland has a reputation for for having high quality standards and clear provenance. So I think manufacturing will remain strong. I think we'll get stronger across the world, actually. I think as people look at, 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 the, at the extreme strategic autonomy, but at the basic level, just proximity to market, lower cost, um, better, better access and knowledge and provenance, it, more manufacturing in more countries, I think will be the future. Okay, great. And uh, a bit of a broad uh, question for you now, Leo, but you know, how do you see world trade evolving over the next 20 years? I mean, for instance, we see in India, obviously, a huge uh, population there and potential demand there, but we see, you know, companies struggling with very fragmented um, supply chains in, in, in countries like India. Uh, how how do you see things uh, panning out again africa again as another example you know the mm. the potential there for things to take off how how do you th see sort of world trade panning out or evolving over the next 20 years yeah i think i think maybe the first thing to recognize is we probably have had some of the most difficult trade tensions in the recent past with china us and uh, the war in ukraine sanctions and related yeah. matters you know that it's probably it's probably been a bit of a shock to the system in terms of what had been an increasingly open and collaborative trade environment um, that said, though, it's in the context of 50 years of very strong growth in open trade and cooperation. So I think yep. you can always expect these things. I, I think over time, we'll see trade relationships normalize uh, between jurisdictions and continue to grow. Um, I think trends like sustainability will undoubtedly deeply affect trade. I, I think that's uh, that's certainly going to be part of the future. Jurisdictions yep. that let low carbon models uh, be implemented and that can prove ethical approaches to sourcing and provenance, I think will have more success than others. Uh, um, in areas such as food, um, climate change will be a huge factor in reshaping trade and we see locations um, production capabilities and sourcing demands adapt. So I think we'll continue to see trade grow. As you said, Africa, Asia will become uh, will become much more integrated parts. India will be, uh, I think, and is already with Apple's uh, re recent announcements and investments in India. You know, it's a, it's a sign of what's 
to come, I think. A mm -hmm. huge country, hugely well-educated, great capability. I think India will be a much bigger part of global supply chains than it is now. Africa will evolve and become uh, the population growth in Africa alone is going to stun the world system. Uh, and it'll be an interesting mix, actually, because uh, you're going to you're going to have an Africa that has much bigger population, much more demand for uh, goods and services, particularly food at the same time as we're seeing desertification in parts of Africa and life becoming much, much more difficult, frankly, for a right. lot of people, unfortunately. Yeah. So that's going to affect, you know, what kinds of products are traded, what's possible. Uh, I, I have a worry that um, places like Sub-Saharan Africa may become more food trade dependent uh, than self, uh, than, than, um, than being able to meet their own needs if we continue, if the trends of climate change continue. So there's a huge amount of change that I think will come. I think if you, if you lift it up a little bit, I think services will become a bigger component of trade over time. Right. And I think some interesting new areas. So one that I'm intrigued about is energy trade. You know, I think energy energy is going to be the fuel of uh, of business going forward. It always has been. But I think in a much more fundamental way, it, the, you know, being able to have energy security, energy security at the right price uh, will be a huge factor in the future economy, particularly with electrification. And trading yeah. of energy between jurisdictions. We're in Ireland just uh, establishing a, a new interconnector to France directly. We have had one to the UK for the last more than ten years. So that's um, you know it's it's going to continue to be a factor that that countries will trade. Ireland has up to potentially seventy gigawatts of wind off our west coast. It's a huge wind resource in the northwest of Europe. We can only consume at the moment six gigawatts of that. So what right. do we do with the remaining 65 gigawatts and does that become, can we trade that through interconnectors? It's uh, that's a long, that's a possibility that we can interconnect our electricity grid directly. Um, can we convert it to green hydrogen and and ship that? That's another yep. possibility. There are challenges with that. Or can we see that maybe more energy intensive manufacturing will come to the west coast of Ireland in proximity to that and that the final goods will be shipped because that's a more efficient way. So I think these trends will be some of these sub trends will be fascinating in terms of what it, what they mean to trade. But I think energy will be much more fundamental to future business than we're probably acknowledging. Yeah, I 100% I agree. And energy is a massive topic that we're looking at at markets and markets. And you mentioned the hydrogen, for instance. I mean, that is going to revolutionise uh, the whole uh, energy industry once it finally gets going. And the key thing there is, uh, you know, obviously hydrogen being an explosive gas, transporting it is expensive, uh, which yeah. means, uh, and it can be produced locally at source, it makes uh, a lot more sense to produce it at source and use it and consume it at source than to export it from the Middle East, for instance. So uh, having that d democratization of, of energy in the form of, of hydrogen is really going to shake up the whole system. But how you trade that or the electricity from from wind uh, is, is, is very, very interesting. Do you uh, see uh, any other uh, hotspots of demand or hotspots of, of manufacturing? You mentioned some of these adjacent countries to China, for instance. I mean, we see, you know, places like Bangladesh and, and uh, you know, evolving. Do you do you, uh, you see any other areas, hotspots of demand or manufacturing? 
Yeah, I think that's some of the first wave is, you know, Vietnam, Bangladesh, Myanmar, even uh, Malaysia. Yep. You know, there's lots of manufacturing being established. I, I see that probably is the first reactive phase to diversification from China. Right. In the medium term, India, very interesting, you know, and I think uh, there's been a big push by the Indian government around manufacturing and made in India. I think that's uh, that's a really interesting trend. Africa, though, uh, coming back to it, is is going to be the hotspot of population growth and right. thereby consumption. Uh, I think I think volume manufacturing can and will grow closer to locations of consumption in general. So as populations grow in Africa and as the uh, as the middle class hopefully continues to and grows in prosperity in India, I think that will be a big factor as well. Because I, I just, uh, you know, I think I think for volume goods and consumer consumer goods in particular, uh, the the con the close they're usually heavy and frequently used. So being close to the point of consumption, I think will be something that uh, that we're going to watch. Uh, I do believe high tech products will continue to need very stable geopolitical regions and secure locations. Um, you'll see more diversity than has existed so far. You look at companies like TSMC diversifying their supply chains off Taiwan, for instance. Um, you can see some uh, some of that dialogue around semiconductor supply chains, but also what we saw during COVID and PPE debates. They're examples of what will lead to, I think, more considered approaches. But I think for high tech, um, the dependency on very skilled, probably long standing labor forces that are used to producing very precise goods and have a lot of policy stability in the countries they operate in, I think that will continue to be um, be a trend. And I think those countries that are already strong in high tech manufacturing will continue to be chosen for those. Um, and right. uh, so you'll see more diversification of those, but not on the scale of food and consumer goods. So I think, you, you know, if I if I was uh, producing a semi CEO of a semiconductor company or a biopharma company, I would probably want two or three locations that were assessed to be very robust geopolitically each of them uh, in my supply chain to be to be able to sleep well at night yeah okay and uh you know companies have to sort of market themselves uh globally and uh and that is of course true of countries as well obviously enterprise island you're here to enable uh irish companies to either export or to to bring uh, new business into to ireland you know how how can local government or uh, agencies like yourself uh, you know support businesses to make their regions competitors competitive on on the world scale with places like china india bangladesh etc yeah, I think it's it goes to stability and focus. You know, I, I think policymakers, first of all, need to decide this is what they want. Uh, Ireland did this in the late 1950s, actually a seminal paper by an economist uh, who was also a senior civil servant called T.K. Whittaker proposed that Ireland should be an open country that becomes a home for for global firms to do to trade and do business from. And it, it takes decades then to realize the fruits of that ambition, but it needs to start with that ambition. And that ambition needs to be followed up with policy, whereby policy creates a business friendly environment and maintains a business friendly environment. Right. So the, the thing that companies hate is uncertainty. So when yeah. a government, yeah. when a, a policy pivots on a dime or there's the risk of that happening, that's a real problem, particularly for higher value industries. So that means governments and successive governments and also the populations of country, which is often forgotten, realizing that the trade-offs of having a very strong economic policy is a lot of personal wealth coming to the country over time, the ability to pay for social services. So that whole 
whole of country um, backing for policy is hugely um, uh, for good industry policy is hugely important and then putting investment behind it. So Enterprise Ireland is one of two large uh, enterprise agencies on our island. We focus on Irish companies that are exporting and trading globally. IDA Ireland, where I worked for eight years, focuses on attracting foreign direct investment to Ireland. I'd say both pound for pound and in, and we would say this in the quality of the agencies that we are, um, there are a few around the, the world that could match the level of investment made by the Irish government and, and the level of focus that we represent. But I, I think those are the things I, I keep coming back to stability every time someone asks me the question and it's very hard. I mean, you, you know, it's hard to maintain policy stability over multi decades um, that uh, that continues to support in the way it does. I think where things need to change, then doing that in a measured way so that industry feels at least there are lead in times to changes and and that there are no surprises that could have been avoided. Right. OK, you 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 mentioned stability. That's that's certainly one thing, but also uh, funding. Uh, we've also talked about green as an alternative uh, business model. Uh, how do you see schemes like the uh, the IRA in the US and the European Green Deal helping uh, develop local industry to make that digital or that green transition? Uh, you know, how can things be produced sustainable, sustainably, but remain competitive? Generally, it's more expensive. Does funding need to be in place or, or can it be done with another model? Yeah, funding, it certainly helps. I was uh, fortunate enough to be in Washington for the Select USA conference this year, which is the Inward Investment Conference for the US. And I heard a lot of US policymakers speak about the Inflation Reduction Act and the other economic measures from the US. And there's huge federal weight behind this, but I was very impressed actually back to the last point on stability that every governor that I heard and every federal official spoke about broadly the same things, you know, regardless of their background um, or politics, um, they were they were very supportive of industry, of skills, of econ economic development and and had relatively similar agendas. So I think it's um, it's a very interesting suite of measures. Uh, a lot of the instruments are in by nature of debt and um, investment, you know, not so much direct grants. There are huge amounts of direct grants, but not so much. The, the worry I would have is I wonder how sustainable it is to maintain competitiveness through grant funding. I think you can uh, grant funding usually is a good measure to help overcome the the startup inefficiencies, yeah. but they won't maintain. It shouldn't be an instrument that long term subsidizes an industry because that's uh, I believe false economy for government and yeah. is unsustainable over time. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the worry I have. The the other way, even on the way in, uh, deadweight risk is a huge uh, item as well. So deadweight for for those who may be listening that don't know it is. Um, the risk of subsidizing something that would have happened anyway in the absence of the subsidy and and right. i think that's a real risk for governments that that we would spend money on things that might have happened anyway that could have been put to better productive use on things that mightn't have happened without it so but that's a risk whenever a government funds anything whether that's europe us or anywhere else in the world it's certainly a risk i think long term we need to be examining ways to make green technologies more competitive and more cost competitive particularly energy i i do i do have a worry that the cost of electrification and the ongoing cost of electricity supply is potentially too high uh, for industry and consumers ultimately uh, at the moment and the continued technological development. So if I was 
if I was, uh, and I am to some extent, personally investing in companies, technologies that reduce the long-term cost of energy uh, are probably the ones I would back most closely in this in this uh, revolution. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You you have a re- you have a worry about the cost. I have a worry about how green some of these uh, technologies actually are. Like when you start, I saw an article the other day, for instance, in uh, Argentina on the the lithium mining there and the devastation of the communities and the water and everything that's going on there. I. My worry is is when people start looking at these uh, green technologies in 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 more depth, that they're, they're, they're going to see that it's actually not that great in uh, after all. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I think that's where that's where company you you know the 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 parallel track to that uh, that that gives me some hope is that. I see companies increasingly taking their ESG responsibilities more seriously and being audited more seriously on those. So if you have a supply chain that's dirty, immoral, poor sourcing, poor labor practices, um, is ruining environments, that will surface. I I don't think that's sustainable for a long time. But again, fixing that is the right thing to do. And then it goes back to that becomes very probably more expensive. So I think... I think we need to continue to make sure that ESG principles are embedded in every company's consciousness. Now, I think consumer, we've been waiting for a long time for consumers to prioritize ESG and sustainability. And I think given the inflation shock of the last year, I do worry that consumers won't be as sustainability conscious as they were two years ago, because they're now just fighting to survive in terms of monthly paychecks, paying for what they need to survive. Yeah, okay. Obviously, as a as a uh, an organisation, Enterprise Ireland, you you as you rightly say, you can choose what your fund or you can choose what you're you're focusing on. You know, what are you focusing on within uh, Ireland? Uh, you know, which industries are you looking to to attract in Ireland or to to support in Ireland? Is it data centres? Is it biotech? What where do you really see the future of Ireland in 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 terms of trade? I think it's high skill, high value industry. We have a great base of life sciences, data centers, semiconductors, both manufacturing and services, increasingly services. Um, you know that. So we we've got a good base across tech, life sciences, engineering, construction. I, I think sustainability businesses. We talked about them earlier. We're prioritizing very hard that we would we would help shape the next generation of sustainability leaders out of Ireland. We've got some great companies in that regard. So that is uh, that's one sectoral trend. The other. One is continuing that shift from manufacturing to either servitization of some of the products that uh, that come out of our manufacturing supply chains or pure play services businesses uh, that can scale fast. So, so those are some of the things we're focused on right now. Okay. Final question, Leo. Always interested in the person that we're we're uh, talking to. I'm just interested. Are there any achievements or hobbies or passions which you uh, which you have which you sort of bring to the role at Enterprise Island? Yeah, a couple of odd ones. So I'm I'm an engineer by uh, I'm an engineer by profession. I think that helps an electronic engineer. So it it kind of helps to have a, an appreciation of tech trends, even if I'm no expert in nearly anything anymore after after 10, yeah. 15 years as a professional manager. Um, my hobby is running. I find I find getting out to run and clearing your head and and having yeah. that that space to think is just there's there's nothing to replace that. I kind of have to mention because of the time it is, I have a huge interest in rugby and uh, we are now, as we, as we enter the world cup next Friday, um, Ireland is ranked number one in the world. So we have our fingers crossed for the phenomenal results. 
yeah so yeah absolutely phenomenal results and uh strangely enough i'm a triathlete as well uh, you oh. know i'm almost 50 now so it's a bit late in the day to be getting into that but yeah i completely agree with clearing your head getting out in the countryside running getting your heart rate up it, it does it, it yeah it does does something yeah sure okay does. wonderful uh so leo thank you so much for this interesting discussion uh thanks to everyone listening in I was in a conversation here with Leo Clancy of uh, the CEO of Enterprise Island. Uh, Leo, your participation is greatly uh, appreciated. Thank you once more and stay tuned for such interesting episodes on Disruption Dialogues. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to know how you can navigate and thrive in this disruptive era, subscribe to Disruption Dialogues on your go-to podcast channels and stay tuned for more interesting episodes.